Welcome back to another struggle day. Yes, how are we all doing? Um, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and we are streaming live via the cell phone on Instagram. So, uh, for those of you that are watching this live, uh, we do have a call in link up on Facebook. So, um, for those of you that are on my personal Facebook, we do have a call-in link if you guys do want to call in. Uh, there's something new that we're trying. Uh, so so far this week, um, this week has been call-in week. You know, we had one of my personal friends, Alexander, uh, on Monday to help us out do the movie review for Doctor Strange. That man is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to anything Marvel comic book related. This man is like, he is a comic book purist and connoisseur. So I definitely had to have him on that episode just to help me because, you know, even though I like comic books, I'm not that well versed in comic books myself. You know, most of most of my my interest in comic books came from like the TV shows and then in the movies. Then I just went and got back briefed on it. Um, But so today uh, and then we had Fat Jesus. He he was on. he was on Wednesday on our general episode, and um, so it was nice to have him on. I missed him being on the show. So, of course, you know, if you guys are watching this on Facebook, you guys can tune in. Just click that link uh, in the description box, and you guys can um, you guys can can call in. Now, we we are able to screen comments uh, via uh, our our platform Streamyard, uh, even though unfortunately. The comments do kind of come in relatively slow. I think there's just a delay because, you know, it is a web browser and all types of other stuff. I mean, it's a it's a browser software software in the browser. Yada, yada, yada. All that. My brain is fried. It's been a long day. So, um, yeah. So uh, we're going to go ahead. We're going to get into this. So today's chapter for our struggle episode is going to be chapter 28 of exodus and 28 is definitely something special it is called the um the koanim or the priest garments so in this episode we are going to go into this episode is pretty much or this chapter sorry is is very descriptive like i said this these next few episodes are going to be very descriptive on a lot of things um of course, we are using Dennis Prager's book, Exodus, God, Slavery, and Freedom, as our extra biblical resource to kind of help us get through and help us uh, understand some of these uh, some of these chapters, some of the text. Dennis Prager is Jewish. Of course, Jews really, um, the, the first five books of the Bible is uh, part of the Torah. So that's something that both Jews and Christians have in common. <laughs> Now, for those of you, you know, if you're new to this or if you're used to this, you know, of course, we are, I don't care what kind of Bible that you use. Trust me. I got plenty of Bibles throughout the house. I go through this every episode. But, you know, of course, for those of you that are new, sorry, allergies. So for those of you that are new, I don't care what version that you use. I'm not going to get into the argument of you should only use the King James version and all this other stuff. I'm not getting into that. You know, I'll let those people who want to argue that, you know, I'll let them argue that Uh, if if people come on on, you know, since we are opening this up to to calls, 
if people want to come on here and say, well, uh, you shouldn't read the NIV, the ESV, the, the TLV, the, 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 whatever, whatever version, I don't care. I'm just going to politely tell them, you know what, on this show, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Read whatever Bible that you have as long as you can read it. That's the only requirement. Right here, I got the Dewey Reigns version. That's more Catholic backed. Um, you know, of course, we do our Bible study off of the TLV version. That's the version that I like. That's the version I can read. However, my most favorite version is the Hallelujah Scriptures. I love this. I, it, to me, I, I love it. it. It definitely gives a different perspective. So I don't care on what kind of Bible you use. I don't care what kind of Bible you have. As long as you can read it and as long as you enjoy reading it. Trust me. I grew up reading the King James Version and the and the thou and this and thine and 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 I I, I it, it made my head hurt. It's very Shakespearean and it made my head hurt. So and I didn't like reading it. Part and also I'm I'm dyslexic. So yeah, reading was never really a fun thing for me until I started finding things that I like to read. So definitely me changing up the translations definitely helped. So uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to go in and get into this. We're, of course, we're going to read the scriptures straight through. Then, of course, we're going to ask Dennis, you know, in his scriptures, I mean, in, in his book, some of his essays and explanations and stuff like that. And if we get any callers, then we will definitely take questions or uh, take comments or whatever else. This is a new thing that we're trying on the show. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope it uh, hope it adds value. So. Let's get into this thing here. Crap, I left my glasses. All right. Chapter 28, the Kohen slash priest, because in, in in most of the Hebrew heavy versions, they're not going to say priest because priests are very Greek. And uh, from the explanation that I heard, that they're very paganistic in origin. So... We're not going to be the versions that I use. They don't say priest, but I understand them to be known as the closest translation is a priest. Also, shout out, shout out to my friend and mentor, Alfonso Rachel. You guys want to go get a nice mug like this. You guys can definitely go uh, visit him on his platform, Brown Serpent Media. And uh, yeah, tell him that I sent you. All right. So let's get into this chapter 28. Bring your brother. Now, just for clarification, if you guys, this is, this is your first time tuning in, Moses is on uh, Mount Sinai talking to God. So for the last few chapters, it, it's been nothing but Moses up on Mount Sinai talking to God. Nothing has really happened. God has just given Moses all the instructions for everything that he's going to need. So starts out, bring your brother Aaron here with his sons among Bain Israel or B'nai Israel, uh, so that you may minister to me as Kohanim. Uh, Aaron and his sons Nadab and Abihu, uh, Nadab and Abihu, Elizer and Ithamar, you are to make holy garments for your brother Aaron, for splendor and for beauty. You are to speak to all who are skilled, you, uh, whom I have filled with the spirit of artistry, to make Aaron's garments with, uh, sorry, <laughs> to make Aaron's garments for consecrating him so that he may minister to me as a Cohen. 
The, these are the garments that they are to make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, a checkered work, of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. Now, ephod, it's like a, um, it's kind of like a tunic, but it's, um, it's like, it's like a tunic with no sleeves. You know, it's pretty much like, um, like you take a sheet, you cut a hole in the center and bam, you store it over your head and the material drapes in your front and your back. That's a, that's an ephod. So, um, they are to make holy garments for your brother and, uh, for your brother Aaron and his sons so that he may minister to me as, as a Cohen. They are to use the gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. They are to make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and the fi- and finely twisted linen, the work of a skilled craftsman. It is to have two shoulder pieces stitched to the uh, to the two ends so that it may be joined together. The skillfully woven band which is upon it with, with which it is to be bound. It is to be like the design from the same piece of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and finely twisted linen. You are to take two onyx stones and engrave on them the name of B'nai Israel. Six of their names are, are on one stone, and the names of the remaining six are on the other stone, in order of their birth. With the work of, gem, with the work of a gem cutter, engraving a seal etched... A, etched with two stones in order in the order of the names of ben of bene israel make them enclosed in settings of gold fasten the two stones upon the shoulder pieces of the ephod uh, to be memorial stones for bene israel so aaron is to bear their names before adonai and he is to and he's to shoulder uh, on his two shoulders as a reminder fashion filigree and filigree for those of you that that don't know if you filigree is like it's like um leaf work it's designing it's stitching and pattern let me see if i can give you guys because i had to look this up the, the other night it's like ornamental work so, and it's typically uh, gold or silver wire formed into a delicate uh, Tracy, delicate silver. Yeah, that's how. Let me go ahead and share this with you guys. Because I'm one of those people. If I, if I can't see it, then I don't, like, I, I won't get it. So, let me go ahead and share this with you guys. So this is filigree right here. Let's go ahead and go. Yes, I'm using Google, Google Images. So it's pretty much all this stuff right here. All this fine, like, woven patterns and stuff like that. That's really all it is. It's just woven, leafy, foliage patterns. And then let me just go ahead and show you guys what an ephod is. Oh, yeah, this is the image of the priest right here, if that makes any sense. So this right here would be the ephod, this blue piece. 
All right. Oh, where are we at? Uh, filigree. Let me go ahead and drop this screen down. Uh, fashion filigree settings of gold. Along with two chains of pure gold of braided work, you will attach the chains uh, to the filigree settings. Make a breastplate of judgment. And the work of a skilled craftsman, you are to make it like the design of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and finely twisted linen. It is to be a square and double over, a span in the length, a span in the length, and a span in the width. Set within it four rows of jewels, a row of ruby, topaz, emerald in the first row. A turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond in the second row. A Jansen, uh, I have no idea what that is. How do you spell that? Yeah, I, trust me, I'm very bad with pronouncing out stuff. Let me see. Jens Jackson, Jacksonith. What do you? How do you call it? So it's like a ruby. Jacinth. Jacinth. Okay. So it's like a reddish orange gemstone. So Jacinth <laughs> and an agite and amethyst. That's it. Let's go ahead and, you know, I'm getting tongue tied. My dyslexia is kicking in. Which is like a purple, a purple ruby. So I don't understand how you say that. Uh, amethyst yeah amethyst yeah i think that's what it is they're not even giving me the option to to hear it okay oh here we go amethyst amethyst yeah. So <laughs> I told you guys I'm a I'm a tad bit dyslexic. Don't mind me. So Amethyst for the third and Burl and um and Onyx and Jasper on the fourth row. They are to be enclosed in gold filigree settings. The stones are to be engraved in the order of the names of of B'nai Israel. Twelve according to their names, like the etchings. Of the signet seal, one corresponding to each name of the twelve tribes. Also, you are to make upon the breastplate uh, braided chains and wreath work of pure gold. Oh, I think I'm getting a lot of feedback. So let me just drop that down. I understand why I'm getting all this feedback here. Sorry. Uh, forge the breastplate of two rings of gold and fasten the two rings onto on the two ends of the breastplate. See, wait. Moses is a better man than me because, remember, he's writing all this stuff. Well, he's either remembering or writing all this stuff down. If God did that to me, I'd be like, you know what? I'm sorry. You you really going to have to break this down Barney style because I can't keep up. I'm a little bit, I'm a tad bit slow. Cause it like sometimes when I'm reading this, I'm like, I I feel like I'm back in school. 
because it's a lot to it's a lot to keep you know in you know in there. So the other two ends of the chains are to be placed on the other two settings and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod in the uh, in the front uh, in front. So you are to make two gold two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it that is toward the inner side of the ephod. Also make two gold rings and place them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod underneath in the front uh, close to where it is joined it, it is joined above the artful woven band of the ephod when uh, then they are to bind the breastplate by its rings to the rings of the ephod with the blue thread with a blue thread so that so that it may be on a skillfully woven band of the ephod uh, and so that the breastplate will not come loose from it oh even God said, hey, you're doing this because he, we're just going to make sure it doesn't come loose. So Aaron will bear the name of Bane Israel or B'nai Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart whenever he enters the holy place as a continual memorial before Adonai. Also put the put the Urim and the Thummim uh, within the breastplate of judgment. So they will be on Aaron's heart. When he goes in before Adonai, Aaron will bear the judgment of B'nai Israel on his heart before Adonai continually. You are to make you are to make the robe of the ephah entirely of blue. It is to have a hole for the head in the center. Like I said, it's supposed to be like a like a piece of garment that you throw over your head and it drapes in the front, drapes in the back. Um, and a binding of woven work around the hole. As a collar, so that it may not be torn. <laughs> Even more descriptive. <laughs> On the hems of it, you are to make pomegranate of blue, purple, and scarlet all around the hem, with golden bells between them. One golden bell and a pomegranate, then another golden bell and a pomegranate. On the hem of the robe, all around, it must be worn by Aaron whenever he ministers. The sound is to be heard when he goes into the holy place before Adonai, and he and when he comes out, so that he does not die. And the reason why pomegranate is is used, and this is just from my extra studies, um, just looking into the symbolism of certain things. Pomegranate is supposed to symbolize plenty because I don't know if you guys ever eaten a pomegranate, a pomegranate. I don't understand why I'm getting so much feedback. Sorry, a pomegranate, um, when you guys slice into it, it has a whole bunch of seeds in it. So and that's why pomegranate symbolically represents plenty, it, plentiful, because this one fruit has all these seeds in it. Now, me personally, I, you know, I'll save this to the end once I'm done reading. But I have my own, I have my own observations of my own beliefs. I, I could be wrong. I'm not saying I'm right, but I, I have my own assumptions. And hopefully either I find something that either confirms or denies what I'm thinking or maybe if God himself tells me, or when I die, I want to know, I'm going to ask God, hey, show me everything. Help me understand. So let's continue. 
also do not make a uh, do not make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engravings on the seal holy to Adonai attach it to attach it with a violet cord onto the turban it's like you know like those Naruto headbands so pretty much Aaron was the first one wearing a wearing a uh, wearing a Naruto style headband with an with an engraving on it so <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> attach it with a violet cord onto the turban on the front of the turban, so that it will rest on Aaron's forehead, so that Aaron will bear will bear away the iniquity the iniquity committed regarding the holy things, which B'nai Israel set apart as all their holy gifts. It is to be always on his forehead, so that they may have favor before Adonai. You are to. Uh, you are to weave the tunic in checkered work of fine linen. Make a turban of fine linen and make the sash the work of color weavers. For Aaron's sons, you are to make a tunic, sash, headwear for them for splendor and for beauty. See, and even God sitting straight up saying, like, look, this is supposed to look good. You're supposed to look snazzy. You know, you don't, don't come to my house looking busted. You're supposed to look good. And then, and then pretty much that's what it what God is saying that's what it's for. It's supposed to be for splendor and for beauty. It's just it kills me when when I see when I hear some Christians talking about, you know, or just some people, not even just Christians, but spiritual people talk about, oh, well, you can't have beauty and and artwork and all this other stuff. That's the work of the devil. Obviously, y'all don't read your Bible close enough because God's straight up said, Hey, I want these tunics, these sashes, these weaves, I want them to be beautiful. Uh, put them on Aaron and uh, put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, so that they may minister to me as Kohanim. You are to make a linen undergarment for them. Cover the skin of their nakedness from the hip, uh, from the hip to the thigh. You are to be war- They are to be worn by Aaron and his sons when they get into the tent of meeting, or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they do not become subject to guilt and die. It is to be a statute forever to him and his offspring after him. So remember, this only applies to Aaron and his descendants and his sons who are in the priestly class. So, and that's it for the chapter. But however, we do have one cliff note right here. It says Exodus 28, 21, uh, let me see. Let me go back. Where does it say that? Exodus twenty eight twenty one. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, twenty eight twenty one. Let's go here where it says. I want. Let me go back far enough. Where's twenty one? The stones are be are to be engraved in the order of the names of B'nai Israel, twelve according to their names, like the etchings of a signet seal, one corresponding to each name of the 12 tribes so it references revelation 21 12 the new jerusalem and even though this is the scripture right here uh but the i I like to give the context before because sometimes when you just write the context it just throws people off uh then came the then came one of the seven angels holding the seven bowls full of the seven final plagues and he spoke with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. 
Then he carried a, he carried me away in the Ruach, which is spirit, uh, to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the he- out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her radiance like the like a most precious stone, like a jasper sparkling like crystal. The three gates of the east, three gates on the north, three gates to, on the south, and three. Uh, she had a great high wall with twelve gates, and above the twelve gates, uh, and above the and above the gate, twelve angels. One of the gates were inscribed, uh, were inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of B'nai Israel, uh, gates on the west. And the wall of the inner uh, of the city had twelve foundations, and on them the twelve names of the twelve emissaries of the Lamb. So if that didn't throw you for a loop, because one thing about Revelation, Revelation will have you like questioning life. Revelation will have you questioning virtually everything if you don't know how to read it. So go ahead and get a sip. So as we see here, so the reason why, just going back to what I was talking about with the pomegranate, before we get into Dennis Prager's book, I believe, because some people say that the, some people say that the, um, the forbidden fruit was an apple. I don't believe that it was an apple. That's just me personally. I don't believe that. Um, like, I, I just, I, I just don't. Um, I've heard some, um, I've heard some scholars, mainly from the from the the Jewish side of the the Jewish scholars, I've heard them explain that they believe that the fruit of knowledge of good and evil is a fig leaf or a fig plant. The fig was the fruit of was the fruit, um, and the reason why they justify that was the fig was the only plant that was named in Genesis. Um, during that, I mean, it was named in those chapters uh, of Adam and Eve. They didn't really name any other fruit or any other plant that bears fruit outside of the fig leaf. Me personally, I believe that the forbidden, I believe that the fruit of knowledge of good and evil to me is the pomegranate. And I could be wrong and I'm okay with being wrong. I'm not, I'm not solidified in it, but here's why I say that. Because the, the pomegranate has to have some sort of significance Outside of, to me, outside of plenty, because why else would you put it on the garments? I mean, just saying plenty, I mean, that could have been recognized by the stones on there. I mean, because which allude to to uh, Abraham. And again, I'm just brainstorming. This is my mind. This is it's just my opinion. Um, I believe that the that the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is a pomegranate. Um, one of the explanations that I heard of why it was a fig is because a fig is like a uh, uh, Rabbi Ma- uh, Rabbi Manus Friedman. He said because the fig is a very uh, what did he say? I think he said it was a very uh, a sexual looking plant. It has it has flesh. Let me see. Let me let me go ahead and. Let me find. 
So, and if you look at the, if you look at the, the uh, internal, so this is what a fig looks like. Uh, some people say, Manus Freeman, his, his ex- explanation was, the fig looks like flesh. It's a very, like, fleshy looking plant. I mean, to me, the insides, you know, excuse my language. To me, it looks like a butthole. That's just me. It looks like a rancid butthole. Um, but that's just, I, I don't think, you know, but it does look fleshy. But another fruit that also looks fleshy is the pomegranate. Let's just go ahead and just look at that. The Right here, pomegranate, like the pomegranate right here. And it has kind of like a little crown looking piece right there. And if you guys, if you've ever eaten a pomegranate, when you bite into like the seeds and stuff, it, it, it kind of stains your, it kind of stains like blood. It's red, like it's blood red. It's a fleshy fruit. Like the fruit feels like leather. I mean, it's, it's definitely very good. And I can, and to me, the pomegranate is the only fruit that kind of looks like an apple, at least in, in, in our mind, like it looks like, you know, it's red, like an apple and red is supposed to be very enticing. And then one thing that they said is that it, like Eve lusted after it. I don't see anybody lusting after this. This purplish, leathery, tiny little fruit thing. You know, however, I can see someone lusting after this. This red, fleshy, leathery fruit that when you bite into it or you eat the seeds, it looks like blood. I don't know. That's just me. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. To me, it it just, uh, to me, a pomegranate makes sense. You know, and, and, and they talked about seeds. If you, if you really catch, I mean, now the fig, I'm assuming all these little tiny things in here, I believe like these are seeds and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, that, that could be it. Or maybe, maybe. The, the tree of life was the fig and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the pomegranate. Could be both. I mean, I, I'm just spectating here. I'm just speculating. I'm um, just giving you guys my thoughts. I'm verbally, um, because we don't really have anything else to go on. The only plant that is listed is the is the fig. However, God tells Moses to tell, to have, you know, skilled workers put pomegranates on Aaron's garments his holy garments so maybe and that's the another reason why that maybe by putting the the pomegranate on the garment was to remind them of the the original sin of eating from the tree of of knowledge of the knowledge of good and evil maybe that's just me I could be wrong I could be speculating a little too much who knows but that's just how that's how I'm I'm looking at it you know, and uh, again, uh, again, that's just that's just me. So let's go ahead, get into Dennis's. Go ahead and shut these off. Ooh, go ahead and just get my workstation all nice and situated, like. All right. So Dennis has a boom. As soon as we get into chapter twenty-eight of his book which is supposed to be the chapter 28 in the correspondence with chapter 28 in Exodus. He has an essay, the benefit of heredity of a, of the, the benefit of a hereditary priesthood. The priesthood is a hereditary institution. 
only the descendants of Aaron, all of whom come from the tribe of Levi, are designated as priests. And this remains true to this day. However, this is not how the modern world views the making of leaders. We believe in choosing leaders, hopefully based on their abilities and values, and not an individual's attaining position of authority solely through birth. Despite all the problems by with democracy, we would not have leaders chosen any other way. As Sir Winston Churchill uh, pithily noted, quoting an unknown sir, uh, uh, sorry, an unknown source, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. Nevertheless, there are benefits to having a hereditary priesthood. Go ahead, and turn my mic up a bit because I think the I think the feedback is done. Uh, first, unlike societal leaders who are given political and military power, uh, power priests are priests are are to have no power. Their role is to serve to help the community come close to God. Second, by making the priesthood a hereditary institution, the chances for corruption entering the religious leadership of the nations are reduced. Simply put, no one can buy or force his way into the priesthood. A third benefit is pre uh, benefit is priests do not have to worry about popularity. They never have to run for election or re-election. With regard to hereditary uh, to hereditary to hereditary institutions, I don't understand why I'm getting tongue tied. Being non democratic, while demo- while democracy is indispensable to civil society, it is irrelevant and potentially even destructive of religion. When religion becomes democratic, it ceases to be religion. And I highlighted that part because to me that really that really hit me in that really hit me in a in a very interesting way because we see all these churches now, especially for those of you that go to a Christian church and stuff like that, um, where you have like these elders and all this and all this other stuff, you know, the it becomes a popularity contest. And I was watching the the uh the Hillsong documentary last night and they were pretty much putting people into these positions based off of the people who they like and people who are pro- who are popular to draw attention. And it's interesting because they were preaching things that they they would they would quote the scripture and then completely, you know, obliterate what the scripture said. So in some aspect being a priest is your duty is to God. That's really it. It's it's you are to be the mediator between the community and God, your nation and God. That's really it. You don't have to be liked. You don't have to be popular. It's you got a role to play. You got a job to do. So members of a religion can vote for one's clergy. Obvious example include cardinals of Roman Catholic Church choosing the pope and synagogue boards voting on who to employ as rabbi but they cannot vote on what their religion demands. Members of religion do not get to vote. For example, on whether or not to remove one of the 10 commandments. I swear, because we are seeing that right now in politics with this whole Roe v. Wade thing, you really have politicians out here trying to outrule what 
the Supreme Court says. So let's just, if we had to use our modern day world, the judge, even though we have judges in the Bible and judges have an appointed, you know, position, let's just say the Supreme Court are like the Levites. They are the appointed priest. Unfortunately, they're with just, let's just take out the hereditary part. The priest are to really just dispatch what God's judgment is. And they're supposed to hold to the laws and they're not supposed to change. That's really what our Supreme Court justices are supposed to do. What does the Constitution say? The Constitution is the Bible of the land, so to speak. It is the it is like the the commandments of the land. They don't change. They're not supposed to change. And it and you got to go through hell and high water just to change something or to add something in. So we have these senators out here upset because they want to overturn Roe v. Wade, and they're and now you have senators and congressmen overstepping. And trying to say, hey, this is in the Constitution, but you really have the Supreme Court, the the majority of the Supreme Court saying, no, it's not. It's not in there. So unfortunately, you know, you can dislike it if you want to, but it's not in the Constitution. Therefore, it's not a constitutional law. It's not a constitutional right. And it's none of our business. It's not on the federal level. If that makes sense. So um, let me see. Members of the religion do not get to vote, for example, on whether or not to remove one of the Ten Commandments. Had the Israelites been able to vote on the Ten Commandments, they may have voted uh, against some of them. Uh, all a well-known Jewish joke related to that relates that when Moses descended with the second set of Ten Commandments, he announced Israelites. I have good news and bad news. The good news is I got him down to 10. The bad news is adultery stays. I could kind of see. You know what I noticed? Like Jews actually have a lot of dirty, clean jokes. They have a lot of jokes that have dark, dirty undertones, but they're very clean on the surface. Because I have uh, uh, a friend and mentor named Rabbi Randy. He is... He he tells these hilarious stories that are insanely inappropriate, but they're so clean on the surface. A remarkable Talmudic passage makes this point rather emphatically. The Israelites, the Talmud records, only accepts the Ten Commandments when God held Mount Sinai over their heads and threatened to drop it on them if they didn't accept it. Most of the British people and founders of the modern democracy have been comfortable with hereditary monarchy for over a thousand years. It may ultimately be rejected as more as more and more British reject the concepts of her, of a heredit, of a her, hereditary ugh, a hereditary monarchy, even one that doesn't really rule them. I know that sounded really bad when I read that. I was trying to get over the the stumble. But that would be a pity since the world would be would be gained since little would be gained and a nation uniting institution would be lost. James uh, James Burton Kaufman, author of 37 volumes, verse by verse commentary on the Bible, noted the priesthood uh, introduced a dramatic change into the religious life in Israel. Until now, Kaufman explains only individuals played the role of priest. Moses, as high priest, sprinkled the blood upon the people to signal the formal ratifying 
of the covenant, Exodus 24, verse 8. And before Moses, Abraham had, had in effect, acted as a priest. See Genesis 15, 7 through 19. But from this point on, the responsibility of carrying out the sacrifices shifts to Aaron, his sons, and their descendants. Uh, And then it goes into uh, the role of the priest. The modern Bible scholar Jacob Milgram makes the important point that the welfare of Israel depends on both Moses and Aaron. Moses serves as the prophet, the sublime ethical voice conveying God's words to the people, while Aaron serves as the priest, the ritual leader responsible of helping people connect individually to God. Both are concerned are necessary for a meaningful religious life. The priest had four major duties. The priest dedicated himself to living a holy life and helping other Jews come closer to God through Jewish ritual which at the time uh, consisted primarily of sacrifice. As noted, other rituals performed by the priests included blessing the people with priestly uh, benediction, Numbers uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through uh, 26, redeeming the firstborn son, uh, Numbers 18, verse 15 through 16, blowing the trumpet to convene the people both on joyous festivals and at the time of war, Numbers 10, 1 through 10, that the trumpet uh, were sounded by the priest is made clear in Numbers 31, verse 6. The priest treated physical ailments such as disease and plague, which were thought to, to be not of psycholo- uh, psychological uh, psychological phenomena. Yeah. Of. No, I think I said that wrong. Yeah, whatever. But also sometimes embodiments of spiritual imperfection. See Leviticus chapters 13 through 15. Also Numbers 12, which uh, depicts uh, Miriam as afflicted with a serious skin disease for speaking ill of her brother Moses. The priest judge disputes Deuteronomy 21 verse 5. uh, The instruction, the instruct and instructed the people and the kings in the laws of the Torah, Deuteronomy 17, um, verse 18, 31, verse 9 through 13. The high priest, by wearing the object known as the Urum and the Thummim on his breastplate, provided a medium through which God would communicate positive and negative responses to major national questions. See verse 30 in this chapter, Also, uh, and also Numbers 27, uh Numbers chapter 27, verse 21. Jacob Milgram notes the Torah does not make clear how the Uman, how the, how the Urim and the Thummim worked. The insignia of Yale University is the breastplate. The high priest wore to complete, uh, wore complete with the words Uman and Thummim in Hebrew. Yale, like nearly all old prestigious American universities, was founded by Christian, by Christians rooted in the Torah in the rest of the Hebrew Bible, initially for training clergy. Since the priests were uh, for, were regarded as mediators between man and God, as well as between man and man in the case of disputes, there was uh, always the chance they might become intoxicated by their power and abuse their authority. Indeed, this happened. First Samuel describes how the sons of the priest Eli himself, a righteous man, misappropriated meat for the sacrifice 
uh, being offered to, at the Shiloh temple and slept with a woman who worked there. See first Samuel uh, chapter two, verse 12 and through chapter four, verse 22. This um, to pre- to prevent these and other abuses and ensure the priest's behavior was in in the service of God. The Torah provides extensive detailed laws governing the conduct of the priest. These laws include the following. Priests were allowed were not allowed to have any contact with dead bodies. In this important regard, they were fundamentally different from the Egyptian priests who were responsible for ministering to the dead. Egyptian uh, the Egyptian religion and culture was focused on death. The Torah on the other hand wanted to uh, wants its adherents to be preoccupied with sanctifying this life. Thus, an abundant, uh, absolute barrier was erected between the Israelite priesthood and death. Priests uh, had to wash their hands and feet prior to em- entering the temple or approaching the altar. They also had to be dressed in a manner that radiated sanctity. A priest could not marry a woman who had been a prostitute or was divorced, Leviticus 21, verse 7. Regarding the first instance, priests were expected to serve as models of holiness, and fairly or unfairly, it is, um, if it became known the priest's wife was a former prostitute, it would hinder his efforts to, uh, to be regarded as a holy man. Whew. As regarded... Um, as regards uh, the ban on a priest marrying a divorced woman, this had nothing to do with her worth as a human being. The issue was, again, the priest structured being compromised. If there were another man, one, moreover, undoubtedly known to the community who had sexual relations with the priest's wife. Analogously, throughout mo- most of modern history, it was expected uh, the king of England would marry a woman who was a virgin. As recently as 1938, King Edward III had abdicated the throne of England in order to marry the twice-divorced Wallace Simpson. One, sus- one suspects that uh, what disturbed the, the English was there would ha- that there would have been two men, both living, who could claim they slept with the woman who is now queen. Of course, all the uh, all other Israelite men could marry a divorced woman. The Torah attached no stigma to a divorced woman or, for that matter, to divorce. The biblical restrictions regarding priests are still observed by Orthodox and some non-Orthodox Jews. In addition to the prohibitions on marrying and divorcing, uh, marrying a divorced woman, a Jew who knows himself to be a priest, a Kohen, is not allowed to attend a funeral or go to the burial except in the case of an immediate uh, relative. The second Jewish temple was destroyed in the year 70. The priests, for obvious reasons, lost their formal religious role. The Jewish priesthood became largely symbolic. However, within the Hasidic movement, which arose in the 18th century, the Rebbe, or Rabbi, the leader of the Hasidic sect became sort of a modern incar- uh, incarnation of the high priest, a person who could mediate or at least uniquely facilitate people's connection to God. Nevertheless, priests still play several distinctive roles in, Jeru- in Judaism. 
When the Torah is read aloud in synagogue, the first person called to bless the Torah is always a Kohen. At daily service in Israel, the holiday service outside of Israel, all the priests present the co- in the congregation, wrap themselves in their prayer shawls, and bless the congregation, reciting the words with which God tells Moses to instruct Aaron and his descendants, bless the Israelites, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. The words are known in the Jewish lives as Berkat and Kohanim, the, priest benediction, the priestly benediction. A firstborn son, one who is both male and the first child born to his mother, is supposed to be dedicated to God. Exodus 13, verse 1 through 2. And to perform a religious service for the priest on the third on the 31st day of after the child's birth. However, the father can pay the priest five she- five silver shekels. See Numbers 18, verse 16. Today, five dollars in silver coins is generally used. To have the child released from the obligations, the ceremony of redeeming the firstborn is still practiced among observant Jews. Later, the Torah, uh, God tells the Israelites they are to be a kingdom of priests and holy nations. Exodus 19, verse 6. In the same manner, Aaron and his sons were supposed to lead an especially holy life and help bring Jews closer to God. The Jewish people, in turn, are supposed to lead a holy life and help bring humanity to God. So, and trust me, he goes on and on like this, like th- he really went in deep in, in, in this with his essays. Um, he has one essay on the priest as a male institution, the importance of clothing. Uh, I might get on into that on another time, but yeah. So this one was very, very, I I would say this was probably one of the least boring descriptive chapters in Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, Because I'm telling you, these next couple chapters, it's nothing but detail. For the next few chapters, it's just all detail, all measurements. A lot of it is a repeat of what was already said. Because it's like, all right, God said it to Moses. Now Moses is saying it to everyone, and now they're going to confirm that they actually did it. Uh, trust me, th- th- some these some of these parts, unfortunately, forgive me, God, uh, but probably one of my least favorites. But they're very important. Sorry, I just really had to wet my whistle. I just did a lot of reading, but yeah. So, and one thing interesting. And I wish I would have, I wish, like, since we're running short on time, I wish I probably would have got into the the male priesthood. I may do that on another episode. Um, I may do that on a separate, like, uh, extra, something extra. Um, But when he talks about the clothing and the fact that, because I touched on it as well, the clothing was supposed to be beautiful, it was supposed to be spectacular. You know, some people like to get into... You know, um, like, why are these uh, pastors, you know, all, why do they wear such nice clothes and all this other stuff? Me personally, I try not to get into that. Uh, I mean, as long as, because the Bible talks about how the, 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 the priestly class are supposed to depend on the community. The community is supposed to make their, their tithes and offerings to the priestly class 
But I mean, now I will say that if your pastor has a jet, is riding a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or anything like that, I think that he it probably is a misappropriation of funds. But if if uh, if a pastor or priest or someone if they're wearing nice clothes and all this other stuff, to me, I don't really think that that's anything nefarious. Um, you know, now if they're just blowing, like if they're wearing five hundred dollar, you know, pairs of shoes or something like that, I mean. The Bible talks about how the priestly class are supposed to be the model citizens of their community. They talked about in Dennis's book, they mentioned, you know, some of the, the, the prohibitions for priests. Priests cannot marry divorced women. Priests cannot marry prostitutes, even though that's okay for every, for everyone else. But the priest is supposed to live like the ideal life. And that's one thing that I like about Judaism that I cannot stand about um, about uh, Christianity and most Christians, especially Roman Catholic, Roman Catholicism, because in in the Bible, at least right here in Exodus, they want the priest to be married. They want the priest to be a symbolic representative. Like he has to be like the most holy image of mankind possible. You know, they want him to be married, but he can't marry a prostitute or a woman who's divorced. They have to look nice. They have to be upstanding, holy citizens. But in in some denominations like Roman Catholicism, you have priests that have never been married. You know, you have not. You know, to me, that's just weird because. And and some people try to say, and I've heard Catholics say, well, it's supposed to represent, you know, that Christ never married. Well, as we saw here in in uh, in Revelation. In this cliff note here, it says right here, uh, let me go to 21 verse 9. Then come, uh, then came one of the seven angels holding seven bowls of the seven final plagues. And he spoke with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The Messiah was already married and his wife is supposed to be. Jerusalem is supposed to be the congregation, the church, and all this other stuff. So, and God even talks about uh, being in a marriage and and divorcing or putting putting um, putting Israel away for another wife. You know, so uh, to me, it doesn't make sense when I when I hear all these people talk about oh, well, priests can't be married, you know, because they they just so you know they're they're so extreme to the point where that you know they take Paul's words. Of it's better to to not be married so that way you can live a holy life and all that stuff. No, 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 no. It, like it, it says it right there. Be married, have a wife, have be a model citizen. But just know that your role is to be a priest. Your role in society is to get the people close to me. So, I mean, if the Messiah is already married. You know, then and who are you to place yourself, you know, all this other stuff now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the one thing that I like is that when they talked about in this chapter is that Aaron is supposed to represent the people. He's supposed to bear the judgment of the people. He is supposed to be the symbol of the people before God. So if Aaron Aaron got to come correct. Aaron has to be anointed. He has to be sanctified. He has to be, you know, he has to be washed. He has to be clean. He has to be clothed right. His clothes have to be of a certain, you know, quality. He can't just 
walk in there with a bonnet on and 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 holes in his underwear and stuff like that. They even talked about his undergarments. So as men, especially those of us who you know are married and those especially fathers because to me a father you are a priest you are a representative you know of what a man is to your young children to your sons and your daughters and to more importantly like if if Aaron is supposed to be the priest to represent the people to God as a man who are for those of you that aren't religious and all and all this other stuff who are you supposed to represent to your children? If you walking around here with, with sagging your pants, you're, you're not really looking right. You're not smelling right. You know, who, like, who are you representing when you bring your children to society? Like as a man, when you walk out of your house, you represent your family and to your kids or to your family, you're supposed to represent God. You know, the same way Aaron is supposed to represent the people to God, which is why he bears the weight of their names on his shoulders and on his chest. And he uh, he bears the name of the nation on his forehead. He represents the people. But when he steps out of that of that tabernacle, when he steps out of that holy place, he re- he's supposed to represent the holiness of God, the purification of God. So it, it, it it's twofold. It is very twofold, you know, and. Today in society, I don't see that happening. I don't. Very few men do I see who represent their families out in public, but who also represent God to their families. You know, somebody, and I understand it's hard. I'm not telling you you got to be perfect. I'm not telling you that you can't have struggles and problems and stuff like that. Because trust me, they talk about it in the Bible. You know, you can have problems. But just know that when you when you come correct, you are bearing the weight on your shoulders. You're bearing it on your chest. You're bearing it on your forehead. And I could be just, you know, this could be just going into 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 the ether or whatever else. But especially as men, men, you are to be first of all, firstly, you are the priest that represents your family when you leave your home. That's it. like you bear the weight of your family on your shoulders. You bear them on your chest. You bear them on your forehead. You know, you, you represent your parents. You represent your wife. You represent your kids. And unfortunately, we have too many solo warriors out here that don't want to be accountable to anybody. They don't want to represent anybody. And but they want people to treat them as someone who's of importance. If you like. To me, you got to hold yourself as as important when when you go out there. You know, you are important for your family, which is why this whole LGBT, you know, this not to attack them, but the mindset of, you know, kids, family, you know, it, uh, this whole me, me, me culture that we got here. You know, oh, I don't want to have kids or I like or. You know, all this other stuff like, oh, I, I'll just adopt kids or I'll take someone else's kids or all. This, I, I want to be the cool aunt, the cool uncle. You know, you're not representing anybody. You're not like that's. I could be going off in weeds here, but it's it's just weird because as I'm reading the Bible and I'm seeing that all, each thing is supposed to represent and stand up for something else. The same way the Messiah bared our sins is the same way Aaron Bears the weight of Israel before God. You know, all these things coincide. So as men, 
who do you bear the weight of? If it's nobody, who are then you got to ask yourself, who are you accountable to? How can you be accountable to God if you're not being fruitful and multiplying? How can you be accountable to God if you're not responsible for for anybody or anything? And that's one of the issues that I have with a lot of the these these new cultures coming up, these countercultures, uh, Catholicism. You know, even though I have friends that are Catholic, I grew up baptized Catholic. So my wife, she grew up Catholic, and it's like now that I'm seeing and I'm reading and I'm understanding, I'm asking these questions. It's like, who do you represent? Do you represent yourself? Then what does represent yourself mean? Because Aaron didn't represent himself. It wasn't about Aaron when he was in there, but Aaron's a part of Israel, though. Aaron bears the weight of Israel. Who do you represent? Who are you putting, who are you getting prepared for? Who are you getting sanctified for? Who do you represent when you go out in the world? Who, like, if you got children, what do you represent when you step into their lives? Because to to the Israelites, Aaron represent the Cohen, the priest of God. He was the one taking their sins taking their guilt offerings, taking their sacrifices to God. But at the same time, he's like, yo, I represent all of this. So when you leave your house, do you represent your family? But do you, when you step into your house, do you represent God? Do you represent holiness? Do you represent, you know, sanctity? You know, so, whew, yes. So we are done. Um, I think I might, I might pin some of the notes that I got uh, for here today because I know there's a lot that I can still go into. Um, but of course, you know, if I'm not Jewish, so I don't have any ties to the Levitical line. And I don't really think that most people really understand what that means or, and just for those of us who are Christian, for those of you that are Messianic, um, for those of you that are, that are Jewish, that converted over, as we all know, the Levitical lines are done away with because, you know, the high priest and King, which is the Messiah, he pretty much did away with all that stuff by his own death. So, I mean, we can talk about this in more, you know, unfortunately, we didn't we didn't have any call ins today, but that's fine. You know, maybe next time. But uh, until then, um, yes, if you guys want to please, you know, help the show out. Of course, I don't do any ads on. um, I don't do any ads. I don't have any sponsors on the um, on the the struggle episodes or the struggle content um, because God's word is it's out there. So I'm not going to charge anybody. Right now, now if we get a ministry started, then that'll be something different. But for right now, my my goal is just to get the word out there, you know. So, but if you guys would like to donate, please, I will greatly appreciate it. And if you guys do donate for the struggle, please just put, you know, especially on our PayPal, just add the note struggle because the plan is, the plan is later on down the road as we grow the content, as we grow the community and stuff like that. Any funds that we get for the struggle, specifically for the struggle, for and I'm thinking about calling it struggle ministries. Any any funds that we get towards the struggle ministries, we are going to be using them to get Bibles, to get uh, stuff out there to people. So it's not going to be for me to collect a paycheck. It's going to be to get the word out there to people. So until then, I appreciate everyone who watched. I appreciate for everyone who will watch this or listen to this wherever you get this content. And until then, I will see you guys possibly, possibly on Monday uh, for a movie review. 
And yeah, I'm out. See you. Bye.